Girlfriend, this is a place where you and I can connect. It's a show that embraces a 360-degree look at womanhood. It's our voice, our perspective. It's what we care about, and it's how we feel. Empowerment through conversation is what it is. This is Full Circle. Family, welcome to another edition of Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. So happy to be in the building with you. And it is a brand new month. Woo, it's October, y'all. We only got a few more months to the end of the year. I hope you are doing your best to end the year off great. I know that I am doing my best. I want to see you at the finish line on 31st with me going into 2022. Like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> It's October. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so you know I have to give a shout out to one of my favorite organizations, Carrie's Touch. Shout out to Reverend Tammy Denise and all the hard work she's doing. Carrie's Touch actually celebrates 15 years this year, and they are doing it big. They've already started celebrating. You remember Reverend Tammy was here just a couple of weeks ago. Support them. They have got a lot of events going on in the month of October. They are celebrating survivors and doing so many wonderful things. Make sure you visit their website at carriestouch.org or follow them online at Carrie's Touch. We are kicking off the Full Circle Overcomer Series, and the Overcomer Series is sponsored by Larissa Poré. She is the final expense queen. Now let Larissa make things smooth and easy for your loved ones who will be in charge of your funeral arrangements. Family, I know this is not a topic that you want to talk about, but we have to because chicken dinners and car washes don't cover expenses as well as we need them to. Larissa offers affordable individual and family plans. No medical exam is needed. You do not get penalized for having health issues. So if you have high blood pressure, diabetes, whatever, this is your opportunity to make sure your family can honor your final wishes and give you the proper funeral or cremation without having to stress over funds. You can find Larissa at the African Marketplace, 2251 Florin Road, or you can call her anytime at 916 916- Six seven zero four four nine six. Please tell her that you heard it on Full Circle. That's how we do it. That's how we support our community by having our community support us by sponsoring the show. So thank you so much to Larissa. She is sponsoring the entire Overcomer series of family. Let me tell you, remember back in 2019, I did a Full Circle Overcomer series. Those of you that may be new to the show, 2019, I did a Full Circle Overcomer series that was well-received and had very high reviews. And so I met a couple of women who I really thought I wanted to bring back the Overcomer series again. And my first guest is going to share her story. So every week for the month of October, we will have dynamic women coming on and sharing their stories. Today, we have Pamela Michelle Tate. Next week is Ebony Smith. Amazing story. Amazing young lady. Can't wait to have her in studio. The next week, our own, well, I will say our own Denise McCoy fellow radio host Denise McCoy will be joining us we'll have a very special guest her name is Lindsay Vertner and uh, Lindsay's story 
is quite amazing. Lindsay was actually brain dead. That's all I'm going to say. You have to tune in on October 23rd to hear the rest of Lindsay's story. And then we are finishing the month with Dominique Poydras. She is the founder of Hasis, the movement Hasis. You may see her on social media and I think I just said her name wrong. It's Padres, I believe. But I'm going to get it right before she comes on the show. So today, I want to welcome my guest, Pamela Michelle Tate. Now, Pamela currently serves as the Northern California Domestic Violence Coordinator of the Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Shout out to friend to the show, Elisha Coco Graham, who is her soror. Um, but she is in the Delta Delta Zeta chapter, which she is a proud member of. And she uses her platform to promote, educate, resource, and bring resolve to those burdened by the lasting effects that domestic violence leaves on its survivors. Pamela's transparency is well appreciated by various audiences and as a survivor herself, Pamela believes it is her responsibility to champion advocacy. She shares some of her story in the released anthology, My Walk Past Hell. That's all I'm gonna say about Pamela. I'm gonna let her say the rest. She's got a milestone too. She did something amazing just yesterday. They opened a resource center, so we'll talk about that as well. So let me bring Pamela on. She's joining us via Zoom. Pam, are you there? I am. Hey, Wanda. Hey. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining this morning. Joining all the way from the Bay Area, Miss Pamela Tate. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning. It is always great to be with you. I love the energy and positivity and just this forum is amazing. So thank you so much for having me here today. You are so welcome. So what I do is at the beginning of every show, I have the the guests introduce themselves to the Full Circle fam. Now, fam, if you remember, Pamela has been a guest on the show before when she talked about her, when she released her, um, oh, help me out, Pam. I don't want to say anthology, your devotional. I yeah, devotional journal. Yes, the devotional journal for caretakers. So you may be familiar with her, but for anybody that's new, I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself to the Full Circle family. Most definitely. I am Pamela Michelle Tate. I am a resident of the Bay Area. I am a native of San Francisco. You don't find too many of us. Um, I am a mother of three. I have a bonus son and I now am a glam mom to a new little one named Ember and she is absolutely adorable. She's a month and a half and we love her. Let's see, I'm an author. I am a education advocate by profession. I am a domestic violence advocate by profession as well. Um, I am a speaker, I think I have mentioned that. I am a former preschool um, teacher and director as well and have a very big heart for educators. I am an author of three books. My first book was a children's book called A Girl's Journey, There's No Crying in Baseball, which I wrote about my daughter, Leah, who is a baseball player, four-time national champion, I'm girls baseball player. And my second book was, as Wanda mentioned, a devotional for caretakers called I just drew a complete blank on my second book. Oh, child, and I'm trying to get you. Go ahead. I'll fly away. I'm yes. sorry. Yes. I'll fly away, which I wrote as I was caretaking for my mother um, who had breast cancer. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. She was a three-time survivor, and unfortunately, she passed 
due to unrelated causes, but she just passed in May. And my third book is My Walk Past Hell, which does touch a little bit upon what I'm going to be sharing today. Um, I am a sexual assault survivor and um, also considered a domestic abuse survivor based on its definition. There are several facets to domestic abuse that don't all include um, hitting. So I will state those. Mm -hmm. There is physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, technological abuse, and spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. And so um, by definition, I am a survivor of domestic abuse. Well, this month is also Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Um, It's ironic that October we celebrate or um, raise awareness around both causes that are very near and dear to my heart. Yes. Thank you, man. That's uh, you have an extensive array of experience. And and while you were talking, I was trying to pull up your website so I can get the (laughs) name of the book, too. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, just, you know, if you can share your story, because I know you talk about uh, you said you touch upon it in my walk past hell. But can you just share with the fam? Because this is the Overcomer series and we want to talk about what was that thing that that, you know, that journey that you went through that you have now overcome? Most definitely. Um, When I was 19 years old and a student at San Francisco State, I was um, pledging my sorority, which I have now since crossed since then, Mm -hmm. um, pledging my sorority and I was attacked and raped in the dorm. It took a long time to come to terms with that or share that information with anyone. My line sister was the only person that I shared that was a female and I had a suite with suite mates um, that I was kind of parked in a room with one of my fraternity brothers. And um, the three of us pretty much kept that to, um, he's deceased now to the grave. And um, it took a long time to overcome that. I finished that school semester, it was in December. I had finals the next um, week after that. I proceeded to finish my finals, um, went home for Christmas, stayed in bed for six weeks and had to return to school in January and took all classes in the afternoon so that I wouldn't see friends or in- encounter anybody during the day. I went to work, I went to school, I came home. Um, and that I did that for years. I did that until I finished college and people just kind of was like, wow, she disappeared. Or they'd see me and be like, hey, what's up? And I was like, I'm working and I'm going to school. I'm working and I'm going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to talk about post-traumatic stress. I have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. I did not utter a word about being attacked and raped for five years. Um, and those were trauma-filled years. Um, the things that, that the mind will allow you to do um, to keep going um, by not acknowledging things. I drank too much, I slept too much, I ate too much. My self-image of myself changed. Um, my bubbly personality became extremely introverted. I'm still actually pretty introverted. Ironically enough, I talk for a living as a trainer um, and I'm required to talk. But if you see me um, outside of that, I'm just now revealing to people. That's why I don't do a lot of talking. I'm actually very 
um, shy and introverted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my whole disposition changed. Um, It wasn't until I had a relationship with my son's father and gave birth to my son and went to a grocery store, um, which I do reveal in my walk past hell, um, that this man approached and his voice triggered me to Mm -hmm. um, respond to when I was being attacked. And he actually said that my son was a cutie. You know how people just kind of in the store Mm -hmm. go, oh, what a cute little kid. Mm -hmm. But his voice literally stopped me in my tracks and triggered me. And I grabbed my son in the cart and proceeded to grab cans off of the counter there in the store. And I started throwing the cans at the man. Mm. Um, So that is what my um, psychiatrist at the time referred to as like a PTSD episode. It was my first. And um, everything just kind of flooded. You know, everything came back to me. Um, You know, what had happened and how I hadn't talked about it. And I started to re-experience that trauma. And so I did go to counseling, um, did a little cognitive behavioral therapy to kind of like, you know, one, I talked about it, obviously, to kind of get it out. I did a couple of rape support groups with people, um, of course, an individual therapy. And then I started to um, really try to synapse the areas that had become broken in my life. I started to speak to some friends again that I hadn't really been communicating with. Um, I started to kind of start to enjoy life, you know, differently, kind of kind of like I used to, but in a different way. Um, it allowed me to kind of reshape adulthood, so to speak. Um, immediately afterwards, like I say, I went to school, I went to work, I'd go out. I mean, if I went out, I'd go out with the intention of getting drunk because if anything started to come back into my memory, I didn't want to remember that. Um, and that is a common response for people who have um, such trauma, even domestic violence survivors um, will have responses like that. Um, Overeating was a response to um, not wanting to appear pretty or to be attractive to someone else to um, not fear being attacked again. And so I started to deal with those issues and um, it took me a while to overcome that. I think it kind of resolved itself for the most part um, when I think right before I turned 30. So we're talking about nine years Mm -hmm. of, you know, struggling, um, five years of not talking about it, and then four years of struggling to just really feel like I had come into my own and to be comfortable with myself again. And so... Um, I think that was my big aha moment to overcome. So while I did that, I still was very selective in who I told and shared that information with. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you don't want to walk around and be a billboard as a rape survivor or a domestic abuse survivor. Um, in between my um, revealing that I had been assaulted, sexually assaulted, and the time that I felt okay with myself. I experienced domestic abuse um, in the form of emotional abuse in a relationship, as well as experiencing physical abuse. I'm gonna, um, before you go any further, I wanna, yeah. before you go into that, I wanna go back into this other part for a moment, because I wanna unpack a couple of things. 
when, when you were in college and, and you experienced that situation and you dove into the work, right? Dove into school, just started being super busy. Yes. Which we know a lot of times is a trauma response. Did yes. you realize at the time that's what you were doing was kind of taking your focus off of that? You know, like if I just stay busy, was that an intentional thing to just. Initially, uh, yeah. Um, the first, like I say, six weeks we had spring, well, winter break mm -hmm. and I stayed in the bed and I ate and I slept. Um, that was very intentional. And when I went back to school, it was just like, let me just keep busy. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to engage yeah. in things. I'm just going to keep busy. Um, I actually worked full time and went to school full time, which was crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know people go, how does one work 40 hours a week and go to school with 12 full units? I actually had 15 units. Oh my goodness. I, um, and they were all in my major. I just kept busy. And also during that time, um, I had an internship where I worked at a brokerage firm. So I started working at 5 a.m. and I would get home from work in class and finish everything up um, by about 10 a.m. six days a week. Back in that time, what toll did that take on your body? Did you notice any physical symptoms of that? I mean, you were pushing your body to the extreme. Yeah, I was exhausted, um, but I was sharp. It was it was odd. I um, got some of my best grades during that period. Wow. I don't know what that was about, um, but I was very focused. Um, I was I was very tired. I I ate poorly. I did no exercising, and I barely slept. Um, I also was suffering with nightmares, which also caused mm. me to drink because I'd want to go to sleep and not be thinking about the, the things that were coming back into my mind. Man, man, that's just heartbreaking. Because I'm just think about this young, nineteen, twenty, twenty one year old young lady having so much burden on her. You know, yeah. what was the relationship with your mom at that time? Well, did she ever suspect anything? The thing is, my mother and I were extremely close. I mean, even to this day, and she's deceased. That was my best friend. Um, she had just started a job where she was traveling. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. She worked for a bishop and she was required to go back to national headquarters. And ironically enough, she was on a two week trip trip during that time when I was attacked. So when I came home from the dorms, you know, she came home about two days after my father was at home, you know, and my dad just kind of was like, you know, she's tired, mm -hmm. you know, she's going to school, all that. Yeah. And he just was like, oh, and so when I made the decision in January that I was going to work full time because the opportunity presented itself mm -hmm. and go to school full time. His priority was always, you know, as long as you're, you know, as long as I'm footing the bill, you will mm -hmm. be in school full time and whatever you're doing around that, you know, the grades have to be on point. You're going to school full time because you're going to school full time. It yeah. was just like not an option. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, he was a typical typical responsive dad sure. and he kind of the cues when I did reveal to them after um, the grocery store incident um, that I, you know, what I was going through, he felt very, very um, sad, obviously. He felt like he 
wasn't in tune with what had occurred and he wanted he wished that he could have been more protective of me and of course my mother was just devastated she was supportive but she was devastated and she was like why wouldn't you tell me that you could have called me um you know i would have came home um and for me i was just embarrassed and it's not like i had done anything which i know now as an adult but in that moment i was just embarrassed it's like i didn't do anything i was fully clothed you know all those cliches it wasn't what i was wearing it wasn't where i was it was about power and someone taking advantage of me yeah and you know you make a good point too in that because society is so quick to victim shame that when we do experience a situation like that we're in we feel like it's our fault we take the burden on ourselves a lot of time yeah because it's just so normalized that well she must have done something she must have provoked him she must have like you said what what was she wearing all of those things right and it's something that we still do to this day that we have to get away from and i think we're doing a better job now of not blaming the victim and of people calling it out when they see it um but but we still have a long way to go in that area definitely have a long way to go and and that will tie into this dv conversation yeah um, with my new center but yeah um and you know there's so many facets and layers to this and so like i said i did ultimately go back and pledge my sorority and completed my process Mm -hmm. uh, in 2014 but you know there were many years that were in between there where i just was like i can't even it was so triggering to even think about um doing a process i was online for 59 days before i dropped line we were actually getting ready to go into hell week Mm -hmm. when i was attacked and i just was like i you know mentally could not even obviously process anything else did you graduate so you graduated i graduated yeah so you got through it by just work put put your head down did the work and but couldn't do any couldn't like handle anything extracurricular like just what's right in front of me yeah, I um the only other thing I did was I was business manager and sang in our gospel choir, mm-hmm. um, which was after hours and we didn't do a lot of that on campus. We didn't rehearse on campus anymore. We actually rehearsed in a church off campus. Mm-hmm. And that was my only extracurricular activity. So it sounds like campus was a big trigger. I mean, that's where it happened. So that it was, was yeah. Mm. Man, this is some good conversation, Pamela. I, I, we're going to take a quick break because then I want to kind of unpack a little bit more about the grocery store incident, too, and then we'll move forward. So thank you so much for being here and sharing, family. This is the Full Circle Overcomer Series. All month long, we are highlighting these brave women that are telling their stories and not just telling what happened, but how they overcame and how you can, too. There's always somebody on the other side of your healing. Remember that. So even as you're going through your journey, there is someone that may be watching you, that may be looking at you, that may hear what you went through and and identify or resonate with you. They may never say anything to you, but just hearing your story may be enough for them. It may be that catalyst that they need to change their life and circumstances as well, or to, you know, start the therapy or whatever it is. So that's why it's so important for for these women to highlight their stories and i'm so glad that they have allowed me to help them facilitate doing that 
This episode of Full Circle is sponsored by the final expense queen, Larissa Pore. She is offering final expense insurance that covers traditional burial and cremation. Why not go ahead and relieve the stress on your family of having to worry about covering the cost of your funeral? Plans are affordable, less than the cost of most monthly cable bills, and they are paid within 24 hours of approval. Car washes and chicken dinners are not enough, family. We need more. And you can find Larissa at the African Marketplace 2251 Florin Road, or you can call her anytime at 916-670-4496. Please tell her that you heard it on Full Circle, family. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Pamela Michelle Tate right after this. This is Full Circle. Empowerment through conversation. That starts with you. Tell us what topics you want to hear. Drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. It's not just talk when you put it into action. Empowering women through conversation with Miss Wanda. We're back, family. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation inside the Full Circle Overcomer series with my guest, Pamela Michelle Tate. She is a author, she's a speaker, and she is a domestic violence advocate. She's sharing her story with us. This is an Overcomer series, so it's she's talking about the experience that she's had to overcome. And before we went to the break, we talked a little bit about um this final I don't want to say final incident but this incident that kind of opened up the floodgates and actually made her have to deal with the sexual assault that she experienced in college I wanted to dig in a little bit to the the incident that you mentioned at the grocery store where you were just minding your business, but there was something about what the gentleman said to your son. And it wasn't anything provocative. It just said he he's a cutie, but there was something about that that triggered this whole host of emotion. And you had this response um, of, you know, started throwing cans at the man because now there was something that made you feel that took you all the way back to that sexual response, that sexual uh, assault incident that you had. Yeah, he um, was behind me in the aisle. And, you know, I don't, when you go grocery shopping, you don't really think about people, you know, in your proximity. Yeah. But he was behind me and his voice was very familiar, it was aggravating. And it reminded me of um, the person who raped me. Um, And he kept saying, the person who raped me kept saying, you're so beautiful. For Mm -hmm. a long time, I could not connect with the word beautiful. I actually hated that word. And if someone said I was beautiful, I would just like become a, a shrinking violet. If someone called someone else beautiful, I was like, you know, don't objectify someone by calling them beautiful mm-hmm. um i have since come to you know adjust to the word but um i just went in protective beast mom mode i was like you know this person is not about to hurt my child mm-hmm. um he had no face he was like a blob monster and i turned around and lost it i don't remember how long it occurred mm-hmm. i just remember um my friendly grocery clerks who I had known for years, because it was a grocery store near my home, um, one of the guys grabbed me from behind and kind of picked me up. And I remember letting go of this final can and one of my other friendly grocery clerks, who's a female, um, 
was like, are you okay? She had never seen me like that and probably had known me for 10 years as a, as a customer yeah. and had never seen me um, become undone like that before. And um, the man, I was very fortunate. The man just kept saying, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Mm. And um, they took me into the office and called the police and I was like hysterical and I'm just like clutching to my son, like, you know, it's the end of the world. And I mean, I was hysterical yeah. and um, my friendly female um, clerk, you know, comforted my son because she knew him and she's like, it's okay, mommy's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, this man who, you know, I, in retrospect now, I kind of go, he was, he was definitely an angel unaware. He was like, she's going to be okay. He says, you know, I'm a vet. I'm a vet. Mm. And um, he was like, you guys have to help her. He said, she wasn't reacting to me. Mm. He knew whatever it was I was experiencing. He just was like, she has to get help. He's like, she is not reacting to me. I've never seen her before. He said, she was not here. You need to get her help. And, um, he actually told the store manager who also knew me um, to not press charges. And um, the store, you know, manager was, you know, you could tell he was pretty torn. Like, you know, she yeah. just you know, went off in a store and, and assaulted somebody. Yeah. Um, and I personally just didn't return to the store. I don't even remember if they told me I could return to the store. I was embarrassed yeah. and didn't want to return to the store. But um I went home and I was just like exhausted. I felt like I slept for like five days after that. And um, the clerk called my mom and my mom was like, what the heck happened? And, um, you know, when I finally woke up, um, you know, I told them that when I was in school that I was attacked and raped. And my mom was like, when? And, you know, I was like, you know, I was 19 and she's like, 19, what in the heck? You know, that was, that was five years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, yeah. And then she's like, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you tell your dad? Why didn't you tell your stepbrother? Why didn't you tell the police? You you know, we have police force in our family. She's like, why didn't you tell anybody? Did you report it? How come you didn't go to the police? You should have got a police report. You should have went to the hospital. And I just was like, no. And she's like, you know, she was really angry about that. Like, why would you not do that? And I remember at the time at San Francisco State, there were a lot of rapes that were occurring Mm -hmm. and they had started this whole um, evening patrol of students with student police to walk women to and from class. And one of my friends was actually one of those police officers who later became a police officer with Oakland Police Department. He's my frat brother. And um, I just was like, because if my frat brother, who is now my frat brother, if he was my friend, I said, if he came as a call response for me, I would be mortified. Mm. And she was like, what? It made no sense to her. But, you know, these are the feelings that I was processing. It's like I was already feeling abused and used and embarrassed and didn't want to be ridiculed and didn't want people to look at me like that. And so um, I just didn't tell anybody. So, like I said, this man was really an angel unaware and he just was like, she needs to get help. And so my mom 
called over to San Francisco Women Against Rape and, um, you know, shared what had happened with me and asked if they have any groups or um, references for a counselor and um, to kind of, you know, help me to get help. And man, it's and, and, and just feeling your mom's pain and hurt and and just I'm thinking about the outsider's perspective of you know it's easier to look back and say why didn't you do this and I'm not saying anything negative about your mom I'm saying in general we as as people when we hear someone that has done something we always know after the fact or outside of the fact how we would react but you never know until you get into the situation you never know what your body's going to do or how you're going to react to something and so that gentleness that we need to have when we you know find out that people have gone through those experiences it's really important you know we don't understand it I I, you know I couldn't understand you know x y and z about this thing but you know we just have to have grace at that point you know and that's part of the victim shit I don't want to say victim shaming but that part of that well why didn't you well how come you didn't and all that and and, you know again it's not towards your mom it's what happens Um, just that I think it's also their shock response. Again, I grew up in a law enforcement family and, you know, I could think of 15 people off the top of my head that I probably should have spoken to. Mm -hmm. But again, I didn't want to look at those people and say some man had violated me, Mm -hmm. beaten me, attacked me at knife point carve things on my body i did not want to have that conversation with the hospital i did not want to have that conversation with uncles i did not want to have that conversation with friends um i just i did not want to yeah it was hard enough to have the conversation with myself right absolutely absolutely that having to process your own emotions and having to forgive yourself even though there was you know, it wasn't your fault, but there's still a level of like guilt and shame that we feel inside that we have to process through as well. Were you married when the grocery store incident happened? I was not married. Oh, okay. And and, and the reason I ask is, or I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't have asked that more of how did that affect your, because you had a child. So how did that affect your relationship with your child's father in terms of you before you actually told before you had the incident in the grocery store like was there anything that there was you know even in dealing with him some kind of trigger that would make you pull away or anything like that um i found myself very permissive sometimes i would do things that i didn't particularly want to do just because i didn't want to negotiate or navigate no mm-hmm because no had already been taken from me. I didn't want to put myself in a position where I'd have to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I didn't I can. know how to say no at that time. Right. You didn't have but that also, language. I was very fortunate that, um, you know, the two partners I had after that were not, um, you know, volatile in any type of way or would mm. never have put me in a predicament where I would have had to say no, but I also just didn't have the capacity at that time. Yeah. And then fast forward, you end up in a marriage where there is some violence or some situations that are not 
um, that made you feel unsafe. Yeah. Um, and that was mostly, and I should say, emotional mm-hmm. abuse. And there was a partner between marriage and um, my son's father mm-hmm. where um, I definitely was not physically safe. And, um, you know, we did a little bit too much partying on his part and um, I was only hit once and that was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that that was not something that I was going to to deal with. But um, in terms of marriage, you know, there was um, emotional abuse, which, you know, he feels sometimes that, well, I think that's exaggerated. It's like the, these are my processes of my reality. Absolutely. There was not. My children have validated that in their experiences and how they felt as a product of said relationship. And so, um, yeah, there was emotional abuse, um, financial abuse and control around finances and lack thereof. Um, Yeah, so when we talk about domestic abuse, that's a good segue. Um, You know, it's more than just physically being struck by a partner. Yeah. Um, male, female partner, intimate partner. There are so many facets. There's um, withholding of love or affection. There's, um, you know, threats of violence. There is actual physical violence. It can be, um, you know, not having any control of your finances or being dependent upon someone else because of your finances Mm -hmm. and people taking advantage of you because of finances or restricting your access to finances. And then there's um, technological abuse, which is now becoming very big, tracking of telephones and where are you and um, alienating you from people um, and making sure that they know where you are at all times. That's a form of abuse that people don't tend to think of as abuse, yeah. but it is abuse. Yeah. Um, that's so, that's so true. And, and that one, it really, I think about a lot of these young ladies that are out here that you think it's cute. He wants to know my every move. Oh, he's blowing me up 10 times a day. Really? You know, those are red flags that I just and, and not just young ladies, but I know older women, too, that have that same thing. But it's like you have to uh, if you if there's a place where you can't separate or you can't still have your own life right and have a life with that person like you need to examine that exactly you know that's in that technological that i have seen that more and more in terms of again giving the passwords and him and the the person monitoring your social media and Mm -hmm. things like that like i'm starting to read more about that again especially with this younger generation too is um you know i gave him the password and he posted this i've actually seen that and i was like what like that's not cute yeah, there, there's that. And then like you have these um, Facebook stories and Instagram stories and you can see who's seen your story. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's like, why are you in my story? Um, you know, particularly if things are not well or mm-hmm. if things are well. And it's like, you know, every single story. Why are you looking at my story? Nobody looks at every single story. Right. Uh, you know, we talk about in my DV class as we're talking about technology making sure that um, I have a tendency, I people, my kids go, you post everything on Facebook. And I go, I do, but I post it when I'm done. Mm-hmm. 
Facebook has geolocated. So, you know, you can voluntarily put where you are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where it says, do you want to write your location? I highly encourage people don't do that yeah. unless you left that destination. Mm-hmm. People don't need to know you're sitting in Cancun in the middle of the Ryu Hotel for five days on vacation. Right. Right. Why do you think that is? One, you've just left your house open for someone to come and burglarize. Mm-hmm. Two, people don't need to have that much information. Yes. And three, it's okay to be by yourself without everybody being aware of where you are mm-hmm. until you return. If you just want to share, it was a great trip. You might enjoy going and visiting this place. That's great. Um, some people do it to showboat. For me, when I do that or when I'm talking to people about it, it's like, what is your reason and rationale for doing it and making sure that you're safe if you're doing it? Yeah. You don't need yeah. people to know where you are exactly for seven days if you're not at your house, because now your house is a sitting duck for all kinds of things to happen. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have someone in your life that's already unstable. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. A lot of girl fights pop up where it's like, you know, you might have broke up with a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and posted you're at this party and he's like looking at your story and sees you're at a party. But then your other friend says she's at a party at Jen's house with the locator on. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? The ex-boyfriend shows up where you're like, how did he know I was here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just really need to think about those geolocators and and be a little bit more safe with it because it can cause problems for other people. And part of domestic violence is um, we don't talk about it. You know, Um, I have a friend who's deceased because her husband killed her. Mm. And, you know, we knew that it was abusive towards the end and she filed for divorce. But, you know, that's exactly what happened. One person said, I'm here. She said she was at a party. He had the kids. Life was good. She says she's at a party. He looks up her friend. Her friend's like, I'm at a party at this location. He shows up at that location. They get into an altercation. She leaves. Everything's okay. And then when she returns home, she comes home and he stabs her to death. Mm. It's like, you know, that seems extreme, but this is how these things happen because people normally who wouldn't have access to know where you are you know sometimes it's not that you've shared the information it's other people have involuntarily shared the information yeah yeah right absolutely we are going to take another break family when we come back more with the full circle overcomer series and our first overcomer pamela michelle tate we will be right back after this because i want to talk about the wonderful work she's doing at this new her newest baby that uh she just birthed yesterday and so much more this is full circle we'll be right back after this fam like what you hear drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. And she is back, empowering you with knowledge and wisdom. This is Full Circle with Miss Wanda. Family, thank you so much for tuning into the program. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation with my guest, Pamela Michelle Tate. She is an author. She is a travel expert. She is a DV advocate and so much more. And we've been having a wonderful conversation. Remember, family, this is the Full Circle Overcomer Series, the first installment today. But all month long, we are going to have these dynamic women sharing their stories. And hopefully there's some Something in their story that you 
can that will resonate with you so that you can, you know, make a decision for whatever situation you may be facing or going through or just the fact to know that you're not alone, that someone has gone through that and has persevered and is on the other side. So we've got more stories coming ahead. Remember, the Full Circle Overcomer Series is sponsored by Larissa Poré, the final expense queen. Let her make things smooth and easy for your loved ones who will be in charge of your funeral arrangements. She offers affordable individual and family plans. No medical exam is needed. You do not get penalized for having health issues. So if you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or any of the other pre-existing conditions, as some insurance companies like to call it, this is your opportunity to make sure that your family can honor your final wishes and give you the proper funeral without having to stress over funds. Larissa can be found at the Florence Square at the African Marketplace, 2251 Florence Road, or you can call her at 916-670-4496. That's 916-670-4496 and tell her that you heard it right here on Full Circle. Back to the conversation with my guest Pamela Michelle Tate. And I told you she just had a baby yesterday. Well, not a real baby. <laughs> I know Pamela's like, uh uh, well, hold on. Oh, <laughs> The babies are grown, grown, but she just opened her new center, uh, the Black Women Revolt Against Domestic Violence Resource Center in San Francisco. Tell us about the path to getting to the center uh, opened and what you provide there. The path is actually pretty amazing. I have two founders of the center and it all revolved around a domestic violence event that takes place in San Francisco every Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So this is October. Um, It will be taking place again this October the 6th, where City Hall is lit up in purple. The lights turn purple in honor of domestic violence survivors. And so um, two years ago, well, 2019, one of the co-founders was out on the steps of City Hall and saw my boss, my former boss, I'm speaking about our shelter and myself out in the audience and she's an African-American and she said, where are all the black people? San Francisco has less than 5% of the population are black, but we have the highest percentage of domestic violence cases in the city. And she was like, why are there two black people out here for the lighting up of city hall with our black mayor? So that was the third person. Mm She worked at City Hall and she was like, and I didn't know anything about this. So she went back and had a conversation with her sister. They are both um, byproducts of their mother, who was also um, in a DV relationship. And they were like, you know, why is nobody talking about this? And how come there were no black people out here? I could think of 20 people I know offhand who are survivors of domestic abuse. And where were the faces and where are the employees and what's going on? So they put together this documentary called Black Women Revolt. It's a two minute clip on YouTube. YouTube. It's Joffria Morris and her sister, Lentice Jones. And so my mentor um, posted this video last October in honor of DV month. And so October 1st, this promo comes out with this two minute DV video and I lost it. I was like, oh my God, I have to find these people. Mm. Who 
are these people and what's next? And she arranged for us to meet. And so the four of us, plus Carolyn Russell from um, Safe Place in Oakland, which is also another shelter person, shelter facility, um, we were like, oh, my God, you know, this is talking about blacks, black voices not being in domestic violence. One, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Two, um, you know, whenever you see a domestic violence case on the news, you're not going to see a black face. Right. We're not the poster children for it because, one, we don't talk outside of our community, but the media just don't pick us up. They're just not interested in black narratives around domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And that was the point of their documentary why are people not talking about blacks in domestic violence when we have the highest cause or the highest numbers of people who are suffering in domestic violence? We have the highest number of women who are jailed um, as a result of killing their batterer. And there's no discussion. There's no media coverage. There's no dialogue regarding this. And so when we sat down, I was like, so what's next? And they were like, oh, well, we want to do, we just want to raise voices. I said, that's great. And then what? And Carolyn was like, so what's the next steps? I said, we need to um, get a space where Black women Black men who are also abused and Black families can come together and talk about this and get resources to get out of this. We need preventative measures. We need to talk about what does a healthy relationship look like? And that sounds really simple, but we have a lot of people who are in intergenerational domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. Their grandparents abused each other. They gave birth to children who abused their new spouses. Those spouses in turn gave birth to their generation. And now they're sitting in domestic abuse relationships that are quote, normal. Mm -hmm. It's all they've ever seen. It's all they've ever seen. Dad controls the money. Dad gets the two paychecks. Dad puts it in the bank. Mom gets $20 to go get her hair done and $100 a week to buy groceries. Mom goes to work every day, dad gets mad, dad gets his alcohol, dad hits mom. Or mom gets mad at dad because he's got a girlfriend and mom struck dad, but dad's still coming home mm-hmm. because this is where dad lives, right? This is some people's norm. And it, and as I say that, you know, I was lucky that wasn't a norm in my household. Yeah. But honestly, I have cousins, I have friends, I see it every single day mm-hmm. every single day and someone said what is the root cause that i said well we can go back all the way to slavery where we were procreating with people that we didn't even necessarily choose mm-hmm. the master said this buck is going to do great with this gal and we're going to make babies and put them on the plantation or he said i like that one and he created yellow babies mm-hmm. right And so that has intergenerationally gone down and impacted our relationships, how we relate with each other. It it has impacted the way that we communicate with each other. It has impacted on our choices of mating, of um, how we live financially, um, what we tolerate in terms of sex. It has just had intergenerational impact. And so, you know, they were kind of like, whoa, You know, they were like, yeah, this is the stuff we should be talking about. And I'm like, yeah, and we're not. I said, and I'm doing this work and we're not talking about it. And um, we kind of talked and said, I said, so what is it you envision? They said, well, in five years, we want to open a shelter specifically for black families. I said, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I said, but today what we need to do is have conversations. 
And so I had a monthly series at my old job, which is the Riley Center in San Francisco called Conversations. And what I do is gather teachers, social workers, the public, and we do a brown bag series and we have a topic and we talk about it. Well, Black History Month came and I did Conversations, Black Women Revolt. And my white allies and peers showed up the Latin allies and peers showed up and black women in my sorority showed up and the community showed up and we did it online because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And it was an hour and a half of one of the most richest conversations that I think that I've had as an adult in discussing um, domestic violence awareness. And we talked about the root causes and why when people come into shelters and they're African-American, they are the first group to self-exit a shelter. Yeah. The average person who's in a domestic relationship or domestic violence relationship will go and return back and forth with their partner up to seven times before they finally leave. And I'm going to repeat that. People will go back and forth with their partner, husband, spouse, up to seven times before they permanently leave that situation. There's a large impact around emotions, finances, and of course, love. No one no one stays around with somebody because they don't love them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not as easy as saying, well, you should just leave. Where are they gonna go? Mm-hmm. How are they gonna pay for where they're gonna go? San Francisco only has 77 beds for emergency shelter. Mm-hmm. 77 beds for emergency shelter. The average person stays in a shelter or your maximum stay in shelter is 12 weeks. So if you have 77 beds filled for 12 weeks, where are people going when those 77 beds are full? So you can't just tell somebody you should just leave. Where are they going to go? Right. Domestic violence and people who are suffering in domestic violence abuse relationships, we need to think about this. It is the only type of relationship that we can think about where you can be an attorney, you can be a doctor, you can be a teacher, you can be an accountant, you can be a day a daytime um, daycare provider, you can be a grocery store clerk, you can be a stay-at-home mom. When you leave, you are formally known as homeless. Yeah. Right? You may have $100,000 in the bank, but if it's a joint account, your partner has access to that. And it's as simple as them removing that money and you have $0 and zero cents. And so what we decided to do was we would start off with a resource center. We are focused on prevention first and foremost, talking about healthy relationships and resources that are available if someone decides they want to leave a relationship. We do safety planning. Um, you know, talking to them about what could be a means for you to leave. If there is no shelter bed, do you have a family member where you might be able to go? Mm -hmm. Do you have a workplace that could possibly accommodate you in a San Jose office or they can let you work remotely? We really think about these things and help them plan this out. And then we also really try and focus on um, the goal is because we are not in the business of breaking apart black families. And I do want to state that again, we are not in the practice of breaking apart black families, but if a black family is not working, we do have a responsibility to keep people safe. 
We also provide resources that are not done in our center, but we will refer someone to a program like Men in Progress, which is a program for batterer intervention, for men to be able to have conversations around anger management, past trauma around domestic abuse, how to better handle their emotions if they feel like they've lost control or feeling a specific way about their partner, um, referrals to counseling for that batterer. One, because a family is a family unit. It involves two people. You cannot heal a family by addressing one party. That's like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. Mm -hmm. You have got to address both parties. If that family is determined to try and stay together, because again, we have enough struggles as it is being a black family. We do not want to rip a black family apart, but they cannot heal together until they are both individually working on whatever it is that they need to work on to be safe together. Yeah. So that is what we're doing at Black Women Revolt Against Domestic Violence Family Resource Center. So yesterday, um, we opened and we were very fortunate after that conversation series where we pulled all of these fabulous people together to talk about it. Um, We had a meeting with the Department on the Status of Women's Director, whom I love and adore, um, Kimberly Ellis. Mm -hmm. And we sat down with her and she told us this is going to happen yeah i don't know where this money is about to come from but she controls a large budget and she says i'm going to give you the initial seed money and this is going to happen and we're thinking this is going to happen in january 2022 as we started the new fiscal budget year since they changed some things around due to COVID, mm-hmm. and um She said, and i'm going to put some plugs and recommendations for some other funding and see what we come up with and Um, When we announced that we were planning to have this up and running and our date of projection was January 3rd, 2022, we opened yesterday on October 1st, 2021. Um, We got funded by um, funding that came from defunding the police in San Francisco. So big shout out to um, board president Shaman Walton for his work along with HRC director, Dr. Cheryl Davis um, in pulling those funds and making them available for black initiatives and projects throughout the city and county of San Francisco to address things before these people get in front of the police. And so we are extremely excited and proud to be funded by the Dream Keepers Initiative, as well as being able to support our black families in San Francisco. Wow, that is First of all, the fact that you that the way it came together so quickly and it was all it was all divine like this is supposed to happen. This is the right time. And I love that you had you brought community together, Mm -hmm. not just black community, but community together. And can I add something there? I do have to I cannot get off of here and not shout out Women Inc., Women Inc. is an organization, a community organization um, that caters primarily to Latin families as well as white families. They gave us a floor in their office space to open this center rent free because they believe in the work and they know that there is a need. And the San Francisco Domestic Violence Consortium has just jumped in full full throttle with support. And we are just so appreciative of that. 
that's what happens when community comes together and we have out true allyship that is true allyship right there is someone supporting or a group of people supporting the work of another culture because it's so important and that's what allyship is all about i love For that sure. Yeah. Shout out to friend to the show, Kimberly Ellis. I love me some Kimberly Ellis. So I was happy to hear (laughs) that she was so instrumental in helping get the uh, black women revolt against domestic violence. Family Resource Center open and off the ground. What kind of services? uh, So you talked about planning. You talked about um, just kind of helping them, helping the person that is trying to leave a domestic a domestically violent situation um, talked about planning resources you talked about thinking about st- creating strategy basically um, what else is there um, immediately when they come into the center we are also helping families and friends support survivors of domestic violence and that will be in the form of a dv 101 class to just kind of get us all out of that mentality of you should just leave and knowing why they don't Mm -hmm. or how can we assist them in being able to leave Mm -hmm. um we are also going to be providing you know just referrals and resources and helping people if they need to apply for medi-cal or if they need to um you know do some type of transitional housing and trying to help them secure that Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely education is a very very high component um, that we will be doing Um, on the day before we opened the center I was part of a forum with the San Francisco District Attorney's um, convening where we were doing a kickoff on Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And one of the things I talked about was the need for additional emergency spaces and transitional housing for um, families who are coming out of domestic violence situations and barriers specifically that b- Black families encounter, starting off with police responses to a call on domestic violence. That is that is your first and foremost um, thing and and the same thing that even made me not reveal my own sexual assault you know fear of how I'm going to be treated when I make this call mm-hmm. um you know we also understand that domestic violence calls are one of the most lethal contact points that police officers have yeah. and that is not to shed light or, or make that a light situation for police officers but also really pushing policy that police officers are better served with receiving more training on how to de-escalate domestic violence situations and how they respond to domestic violence um, survivors or victims, because at that point they're victims. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that we are seeing in San Francisco is an increase of domestic violence survivors actually being arrested as the perpetrator because they've left defensive wounds on the batterer. Mm. So if someone is choking you, your natural response is to scratch, but because a scratch is visible versus a strangulation mark, unless Mm -hmm. they've done some really hard strangulation, when the police look at the two people, they're going to say, well, she scratched them up. We're going to take her in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they get arrested for defending themselves. Mm -hmm. And in that time period, the perpetrator could have taken the children from the home, cleaned out bank accounts, um, removed all of their belongings and skip traced and gone to where God only knows where. Mm-hmm. So um, educating them a little bit more around what's a defensive wound versus 
what was an offensive type maneuver, um, how to deescalate when you get on site where you can actually enter the house without being fear of being shot or harmed. And just better understanding of the situation you're walking into. These are two people who claim that they love each other and they are just having two extremely different ways of showing it Mm -hmm. and getting to the heart of that. And also making sure that we are not criminalizing the victim and how do we support the batterer? Because again, they're more than likely going to get back together. Mm-hmm. It's not an issue of them not loving each other. This is a battle about control and power yeah. and the loss thereof. So how do we make that batterer feel like they're important, but not so important that they can encroach upon the health and safety and well-being of their partner? Yeah. I want to go back to that statistic of because you just said it too. You know they're gonna they're most likely going to get back together. That people go back and forth up to seven times before yes. they finally leave. Before they finally leave, yeah. Mm. So we do see a lot. Um, I worked in a shelter, and we did see a lot of repeat customers, for lack of a better word. And when people leave shelter, you know, they leave upon their free will, and we send them with blessings. We hope we sent them with tools of safety planning. If this should happen again, mm-hmm. how do you go to get and take care of yourself? You know, what is your plan? We also send them with our number and we let them know, I may not work here any longer, but there's always gonna be someone who's going to answer that phone call. Mm -hmm. Make sure you call so that you can be out of harm's way. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Do you provide resources to those mental health services as well? We do. most of the shelters have a mental health component or someone that is working with them at our center. We do have access to two therapists. They will be running groups, um, a healthy relationship group. And then also just kind of like talking about life after domestic abuse. Um, there, there are things that happen after domestic abuse with finding your own footing and getting comfortable in yourself again, um, before you can even think about hopping into another relationship. We do find when people don't do that work on themselves, they do find themselves back in yet another domestic abusive type relationship with just a different partner. Yeah. Yeah. That is that part, that part right there. I have known and, and have heard women share their stories where I was in a relationship after relationship. And I've actually heard people say, there must be something about me that I keep attracting this type of man. Right. And I, 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 I just cringe when I hear that because it's like, it's not you like, yeah, there's some things that you have to work on in terms of having that. I'm saying lack of self-esteem for, for lack of a better term. Right. But that, that inner knowing that being able to be your own advocate, but it's not all on you either. Right. You know, so I just, and all you can do is encourage and provide the tools and make sure that they know that someone is always going to be available to answer that call. And of course, educating the public so that Mm -hmm. they can have a better understanding and empathy. Like you were speaking of my mom who, you know, they don't speak out of ignorance, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, they don't know. And so just letting them know that it's, it's not that easy and how you can be a resource to help someone get to safety. Yeah. As you were talking, I was looking at, I was looking up the, um, you said the black women revolt on, um, 
YouTube, and it show it, there's actually a, like a video of the actual resource center, which looks yeah, we just so did that beautiful. Yesterday. We had to do hybrid, as I mentioned, because uh -huh. of the number of people who responded that wanted to attend. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful center. Tell everyone where it's located. We're at 30 Boardman Place. It's right across from 850 Bryant, which is our Hall of Justice in San Francisco. Um, obviously, we don't shelter people there. We refer them out to shelter. Mm -hmm. um, but we're there um, by appointment only currently due to COVID regulations. And there's a rotating group of volunteers. We're all volunteering while, um, you know, this has all been a labor of love. And so we're happy that it's open and we're happy that the community is is welcoming us with open arms. And now we're just telling black families and black women in particular, black men, if you're being abused too, come on in the room, we're there. Yeah, yeah. And what if someone wanted to volunteer? Because, you know, people all around California, especially in the Bay Area, we have a lot of listeners in the Bay Area. If someone wanted to volunteer for the shelter, what would they need to do? Would they just contact you all or? Yeah, I would say if they can email me directly, or us directly at blackwomenrevolt at gmail.com. That's blackwomenrevolt at gmail.com. And say, I'm interested in volunteering. If you wanted to do any type of peer counseling, it requires the 40-hour DV course, which we are going to be doing online mm -hmm. um, over a course of a few weeks. Um, if you're interested in that 40-hour DV course, um, state that. We are also calling and planning to do a faith-based roundtable mm. with faith-based practitioners, pastors, and lay staff. I did one a few years ago with staff in Oakland with Bishop Williams um, out of Oakland, and he had about 20 people from his church, lay staff, the ladies team, the prayer and devotion team. I mean, they came up, showed up and showed out. And um, it was a really, really rich dialogue. And I do want to say this because as pastors, you know, we, we love them and, you know, we look to our churches for leadership. And it's okay not to know everything as a pastor. We want to equip you to know how to handle domestic violence situations in the church. While biblical scriptures are great, people need real resources right. so that we can apply healing and make sure that these families are healed. The goal is not to rip families apart. It is to help families heal. And if a pastor um, wants to give counseling, you know, we want to make sure that we can refer them to batterer intervention counseling or so that the woman can know that she can have individual counseling as well. Um, we want to heal, heal families and prevent them from receiving additional harm by someone just saying, well, the Bible says, right, because there's more to that. The Bible's intention, of course, is that everybody is whole in God and we wanna make sure that we keep families whole if we can, but we also have to acknowledge when things are not working, we need to work together to make them heal. I love that. I, I love that um, notion that you're going in that direction of making sure that our lay staff and our our pastors and, and other faith leaders um, have that information because you're right we do look to them and a lot of times we look to them because they are leading the 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 
faith body, but they yep. aren't necessarily equipped for a lot of the things that happen in the church. And so then that's where we get the, we'll just pray or, you know, like you said, like the Bible says this, so this is what you need to do and not really deal with the real world aspect of what's going on. Right. Yeah. Um, I was told, you know, pray. And I had six elders praying with us, three women and mm-hmm. three males with my husband. And then, of course, we all met on a weekly basis. And it was just like, this is this is not working. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, at some point, you know, prayer is great. But, you know, if you're all not equally yoked or talking about the same thing, you know, we need to all get on the same accord and deal with if it's an anger issue, if it's an insecurity issue, Mm -hmm. if it's around finances, whatever it is, call the spade, the spade, address the spade so that people can heal. Absolutely. We are going to take a quick break. We'll come back with our last segment because I want to talk about your other baby. You got a lot of, lot of kids running around right now, Miss Pamela. Put all my grown babies and I've created <laughs> we will be right back, family, with after this quick break. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda. We'll be right back. If you have something to add to the conversation, drop us a line at fullcircle975 at gmail.com. And we're back with Miss Wanda, life coach, motivational speaker, and friend of sisters everywhere. This is Full Circle. Yes, it is. And we are back. This is Full Circle. I'm your host, Miss Wanda, having a wonderful conversation. Remember, this is the Full Circle Overcomer Series. Now, family, I know you listen to Full Circle all the time, but make sure you are tuning in to all the episodes in October as we have five brave women coming to share their stories of how they overcame difficult circumstances. Our guest today, Pamela Michelle Tate, has discussed her journey, and you can go back and listen to it if you missed any part of today's episode. Don't forget the podcast drops every Tuesday. Tuesday at noon. Just make sure you're following Miss Wanda's Full Circle Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, we before we went to break, we talked about one of Pam's new adventure or new ventures, the Black, and she's a co-founder of the Black Women Revolt Against Domestic Violence Family Resource Center in San Francisco. That's located at 30 Boardman Place in San Francisco. And um, if you want to volunteer or find out about the 40-hour uh, DV course, you can email them at blackwomenrevolt at gmail.com. Again, that's blackwomenrevolt at gmail.com. If you know someone in the San Francisco Bay Area that may need resources, um, please make sure that you, you know, tell them about the Black Women Revolt Against Domestic Violence Family Resource Center. That's how we're doing it today, family. And now, Pamela, I'm telling you, this woman is doing so many amazing things out in the world. I'm happy to know her and happy that we met um, through her publicist, V. Cherie Williams, who has also been a guest on the show as well. Publisher, she publishes a magazine called Cuisine Noir. You can get that online. You can sign up for their website or for their emailing list. And there's all kinds of information about all things black in terms of cuisine. Um, She talks about the different local scenes, not just here in California, but around the country and around the world. What chefs, black chefs are doing, black uh, wineries and venters and uh, definitely want to give V. Sheree Williams a shout out. Um, she is the reason why I have met Pamela Michelle Tate and uh, we have hit it off since we met and so she's got another baby 
in the works. And I'm I'm happy that I'm a little portion of this one. Proud to be a um, part of this new endeavor that is coming out. Uh, Live the life you deserve. And it's not just the summit, but it's a whole movement. Right, Pam? It is. It is. Talk about it. Oh, wow. Um, You know, Wanda, we talked a couple of weeks before my mom passed in May, the Mm -hmm. first time that we we got together. Mm -hmm. And um, the last two years, you know, I I care took and took care of my mom and worked full time and took care of my kids. And um, my daughter started college and my youngest son started college. And so, um, you know, I am just at a time in my life where I kind of said, you know, it's time for me to focus on me. And that was the main thing I felt I needed to do after my mom passed. But one of the stories for COVID for me has been pivot. The key word is pivot. Um, I had COVID, I worked from home. Um, I continue to work from home. Um, I, you know, took care of my mom from home and COVID was very isolating for a lot of people. Um, I did an annual retreat with my travel business and we'd go and do different things every year. And the group had grown grown from 20 people up to 103 people and we didn't get to have it this past year. And I didn't realize how disconnected I was from people, I think, until my mom passed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while we topically would say hello on Facebook or somebody might send a text message that being with each other in community space and holding each other and lifting each other up um, had been missing. And I did not realize that until the cards started coming when my mom passed and the phone calls started coming. And, you know, then there's the day of the funeral and it's just kind of like flat. And then, you know, people always go, well, people will stop calling afterwards. Well, I got a phone call from one of the ladies who had gone on the retreat with us two years ago since we didn't get to go last year. And she just opened her heart and she was just so warm with me and, you know, apologetic about the passing of my mom, which I really appreciated. And I genuinely asked, well, how are you? And she just broke down and I was like, well, what's going on? And, you know, she's like, the kids are having difficulties being at home with studying and I'm trying to work from home and, you know, that's difficult. And my husband's here with me and that's been difficult. And then he got downsized and let go during the pandemic. And then he was angry because he didn't have a job and she was being the breadwinner. And, you know, also while trying to teach two kids at home and, and um, she just didn't sound right. And I was like, So, you know, I said, I, you know, do you need to talk to somebody? How are the kids doing? Do they need counseling? You know, I said, I'm feeling like there's something that you're not saying. And she just broke out into tears and said, he's hitting me. Mm. And my heart just broke. Um, They've been married 16 years. And she said, he's hitting me. And she said, you know, I know he loves me. Um, you know, but, you know, he's always been the breadwinner. And now my my salary is not nearly as much as his was, but I'm bringing home all the money. Yeah. He's frustrated. The kids are frustrated. We're like crabs in a barrel. And, you know, it's just too much pressure. And um, she revealed a little bit more. And I was like, whoa, you know, and I was like, you know, I've been feeling kind of isolated. I describe my living as one room living. And I thought about it and I started calling other people who go to the retreat and I was like, hey, what's going on? How are you? Do you guys have food? You know, how are you doing with rent? 
Um, how are the kids doing? How is your mental health going? Any things that we need to know about? And, you know, people started revealing things and, and the struggle has been real during COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, it got really real. And so I said, you know, I know that we are missing this this gathering. And I said, you know, we can have a Zoom meeting. I'm over Zoom. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say that mm-hmm. I am on Zoom like for <laughs> hours a day. Mm-hmm. But I was like, if it's a way for me to connect with my people and for us to have these conversations and for us to get the resources that are out there that we might not be thinking about or knowing about, mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to do it. So I decided to put together a Live the Life You Deserve Summit. And I called it Live the Life You Deserve because my boyfriend said, you know, hey, you know, now's the time for you to think about what it is you want to do now that you don't have to take care of your mom now that you don't have to take care of your kids because they're in school and you know in their respective homes daughters in the dorms and he's like what do you want to do yeah focus on what you want to do what do you need right now and i said i'm you know he said it's just time for you to live the life you deserve and i was like it just stuck Mm-hmm. So I went and got an LLC and said, I'm going to do this online summit that brings together businesses. Um, we're going to have a symposium on mental health and COVID. We're going to talk about domestic violence. We're going to talk about breast cancer awareness. Next Saturday, we have a breast cancer awareness summit um, where we're going to be doing a pre-launch party with the incomparable John Sachs, my brother from another mother. <laughs> um, those of you who've attended the festival at Sea Cruise are very familiar with John Sachs. Um, a few years ago, we brought him out to Sacramento for um, Harry's Touch fundraiser, mm. where um, the production company I used to work for, um, we fundraised for Carrie's Touch um, as a result of one of my friends who has since passed of breast cancer, firefighter Denise Larms. Um, And so he's gonna be doing an online virtual party for us. Um, And that's gonna be $25 for that virtual party. It's three hours. You are going to see live saxophone by Mr. John Sachs and his DJ, DJ T, Mike T. Um, We're gonna talk about breast cancer awareness and mammograms and the importance of it and how it is very relevant in the black community and why we need to be making sure we're doing our mammograms and making sure you are reaching out and how to support people who are enduring breast cancer or surviving and thriving after breast cancer. Um, The proceeds from that, it's going to go towards um, donations to Sister Network in San Francisco. It's an agency that helped my mother. when we didn't even know we needed help, my mom had oral chemotherapy and her medication co-payment was $660 a month. Oh my goodness. And they just wrote her a check every month. We were like, who asked for this money? Who heard? And um, we applied for a grant and Genentech did grant her the rest of the medication. But for four months, we had to pay $660 for her um, co-payment for this medication. Mm. And um, the sister network also sends people out to do housekeeping in your home if you are not physically able to do it as a result of treatment. Um, They are just supportive friends and 
sisters who help. And so we will be donating proceeds to them um, in behalf of my mother. And so that's part of the summit as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm also excited to say we have business, um, business that we'll be talking about. And um, our own Wanda will be doing a talk, a presentation on starting a webcast, a podcast. Mm -hmm. We have someone who's going to be talking about PR and branding yourself. We're having people who are talking about self-care. My travel company boss, who is also one of my best friends, Mr. David McCovey, is going to be talking about from a napkin to $300 million in sales Mm. of the beginning of evolution travel and question and answers um, that we did record with some of our agents. Um, And so it's going to be a very, very varied um, group of talks. It's going to run Friday, October the 15th through Sunday, the 17th. The summit is free. It is free 99, (laughs) zero dollars and zero cents. Please feel free to join us at www.livethelifeyoudeservesummit.com. The pre-launch party does have a cost because we have to pay for production, of course, entertainment costs. Mm-hmm. That ticket is $25. Um, and the proceeds from that, all proceeds after paying for the actual setup and digital digitizing of that are going to go to the sister network in San Francisco. So if you are looking to donate in support of breast cancer awareness, please, please, please come on out to our pre-launch party online. Um, You can go to that same website and um, I will give Wanda some specific things. There's an Eventbrite as well. Do Eventbrite and look up Live the Life You Deserve Summit, and that will pull up the pre-launch party for those $25 tickets. We hope that you all come and show up and learn some things about your own health and how to support breast cancer survivors. Um, and if you're at the summit, you know we're going to talk about COVID and mental health. We're going to talk about DV and being aware and how to help and support survivors of that. And of course, how to grow your business and anything else that's on your heart and your mind that has taken place during this COVID season to help and encourage you to live the life that you deserve. I love it. I love all of that. And it's and this is a perfect time, right? Like you said earlier, pivot. That's the word that probably the word of the year, right, is how do we pivot? And now it's time. We see that things are changing so rapidly. Why not go ahead and live the life you deserve, the one you dream of, the one you've been wishing about for a long time? the one you fantasized and want to manifest. Why not go ahead and do it now? So the pre-launch breast cancer awareness event, part of the Live the Life You Deserve virtual summit happens next Friday at 12 noon. And I will post all of this on the Full Circle Facebook page as well. But it happens Friday at 12 noon. It's virtual and it is... Oh, right Right after your broadcast, next Saturday. Saturday, okay. Let me see. Oh, I was looking at Friday the 15th for the thing. I apologize. Saturday, y'all. Sorry. Right after the show. So tune in to Full Circle, then go on over to the Summit uh, pre-launch breast cancer awareness. That's next Saturday at 12 noon. Yes. It's virtual and you can find the tickets on Eventbrite and proceeds go to this wonderful sister network that helps support breast people uh, living with breast cancer. Um, man, I man, six hundred dollars a month for a copay. Yeah. Ooh. Man. And again, shout out to Genentech. I actually used to work for them. They have a program called Access to Care, 
and you do have to fill out the application for the financial assistance, but they subsidized it and, and completely paid for it. But it was before we even found out that you could apply, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it costs to be sick. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. And then join us next Friday through Sunday, October 15th through 17th for the Live the Life You Deserve Summit. It is virtual. It is free. There is a VIP access package if you want that. And you can go to the Live the Life You Deserve Summit dot com website for more information there. But it's open to men and women looking to live life with purpose and intention. So whether you are an expert at a thing or you just want to get some extra information if you want to if you're at a place where you're looking to pivot and don't know where to turn there is going to be a lineup of speakers every day giving you information that you will need to make an informed decision for your life and of course my talk start the podcast sis but it's for the brothers too if you want to start the podcast I tell you about my journey and how I went through starting the full circle podcast as well but it's happening Next sat next oh scar sorry October fifteenth through seventeenth uh, the the um, pre launch is next Saturday but the summit is the following week October fifteenth through seventeenth it's all virtual again go to live the life you deserve summit dot com to get all the details to see what the speakers are and if you want the VIP access package you can uh, obtain that as well so make sure you join us you'll be hearing more about it in the next couple of weeks too like you heard about it last week. Yeah, because I think that it is, I mean, it's time, family. It's time for us to live the, to no more sitting on the sidelines. It's time to live the life that we deserve. Pamela, thank you so much for spending your morning with me. I appreciate you. And thank you for having me. And you know, I absolutely love you and I love the guests and I, anytime you need me, I'm here. The feeling is mutual. And I love that we have, you know, a few friends in common. Uh, Again, shout out to Alicia Coco Graham. I love her so much. She's just so dope. (laughs) You're (laughs) sore. And Kimberly Ellis. Thank you so much, family. Also, if you want more information about the Black Women Revolt Against Domestic Violence Family Resource Center, you can email them for more information at Black Women Revolt at gmail.com. Again, I'll put that on the Facebook page or the Full Circle social media as well. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Larissa Pore, the final expense queen. She offers a final expense insurance that covers traditional burial and cremation. So why not go ahead and relieve the stress on your family of having to worry about covering the cost of your funeral and family? I know we don't want to talk about this stuff. We don't want to think about it, but it's something that needs to be talked about, said, and done. So make sure you reach out to Larissa. You can find her today at the African Marketplace, 2251 Florin Road. She'll be there from 12 to 6. And if you want more information, or if you want more information, you can always give her a call at 916-670-4496. Again, that's 916-670- Four four nine six, and make sure that you tell her family that you heard it right here on Full Circle. That's how we're doing it for another Saturday. Show love to everyone you meet, fam. And I will see you with our next overcomer, Ebony Smith, who's got an amazing story, author of the book, Breaking Out of the Jail I, I Built. 
family. I read that book in one night. Wow. You'll hear about it next week. Keep it right here, family. We'll see you next week. Peace, fam. This has been Full Circle. Follow our Facebook page at Full Circle 97.5.